0: This is the Up Next Podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Professor Martin Klarman. He's Professor of Marketing in the Klaus Ruhr Institute of Technology in Germany, where he also co-directs their Institute of Information Systems and Marketing. Hi, Martin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. The article you and your colleague published examined voice shopping and how the data from this type of shopping might be valuable for retail marketing. First, when you talk about voice shopping... What are we talking about?
1: Well, we, we basically talk about people that, that use Alexa or Alexa-like devices to shop, to purchase something, not to put it on the shopping list, to purchase something through Alexa. With Alexa, you are really kind of shopping in the Amazon shop.
0: Um, I see. Okay.
1: When you, when so that's kind of the setting. So we also ran our, our studies using Alexa devices or Echoes. The idea is always I'm in a shop in a that has a voice interface and... From inquiry to purchase, I do everything in that voice setting. There's no click, et cetera, to confirm stuff. In
0: terms of the nature of the data captured from, and collected from this process? Is it simply the text, the phrases that were spoken, or is it a richer data set where you have timber speed of communication? Is it a more detailed information set?
1: We don't have access to Amazon's data. So we don't have access to data from real people shopping in the Amazon shop. So we had people record commands that you would use in a shopping context. Like, I see. go ahead and up another product, please, or stuff like that. So simple, very short commands that okay. people use. But we had the full recording, so we have more than the words. In fact, most of the words don't have a strong effect in what we analyzed. The, the strongest effect is basically from information that comes through the elements of the, the voice, like the frequency, the pitch, stuff like that. That, that carries a lot of emotional information, uh, and basically, I mean, I'm getting ahead now, but basically yeah. that's what we kind of analyze and, and use.
0: We absolutely will be diving a little bit deeper into that later on in our conversation. But first I wanna also, because it is it is voice and this type of shopping is quite distinct from online shopping in, in some critical ways, right? Absolutely.
1: It's very it's a very different setting.
0: What would you say? The big standout things that made voice shopping distinct from online shopping.
1: Uh, one thing that makes it distinct is is the fact that you have no visual information, yeah. um, at least the voice speakers that uh, that we analyze. I mean, there's obviously also smart speakers that have a sp- that have a screen. Mm. and but then shopping through a smart speaker is very similar to shopping through through a mobile phone or a tablet or something. And we were really interested in the voice device that like stands in the kitchen. Right. And that you basically use probably to, to listen to music and then from time to time you engage with it and ask for some Wikipedia info and then on time to time you, you might shop. Right. So that's one major difference. You don't see the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. only information that you have is through audio signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one major difference. The second major difference is that there's, you have your hands free to do others. So typically when you're shopping, you're focused on, on shopping in, in some way or the other. And when you're Voice shopping, we believe it's very difficult to get data on what people do in terms of real voice shopping. And it's right. a relatively limited activity so far. But what we I always imagine someone standing in the kitchen, preparing a meal, running and using the last bit of salt. And then using the voice device to, to order new salt, basically. Right. Right. So do, so the idea is that you shop so you have your hands free to do other stuff. So I believe that in many settings, there is much more distraction right. to shop to the shopping task. It's really something you do kind of while you're doing other stuff. The future field of application for voice shopping, I believe, is in cars. Right. Car assistants are getting more and more intelligent. And mm. obviously, you can interact well with the car using your voice while you're driving. Mm. So the idea would be you're shopping while driving. And then the interesting question is, do you shop for different things when you're going really fast versus when you're oh. going really slow, etc.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And also, I suppose, because in the case of shopping yeah. and you're cooking and you know you've used the last of something up, mm-hmm. so you're going to order more olive oil, salt, what have you, mm-hmm. that is motivated by you. But in terms of what you're offered, when you're online shopping, you have a multiplicity of things usually shows up versus one at a time, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and also as as such, you had indicated that's a sort of higher level of risk in terms of you either say yes or no to that thing. You don't necessarily see it. You don't have these other cues, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I really kind of... There, there's like this aspect of sequential presentation uh, mm-hmm. you only see one product at a time and that's very that's very different from online shopping right It's not that different from mobile Oh I mean, interesting. Mobile, okay. mobile I mean with mobile you, you typically see two or three things but depending on on how you configure, how you use your smartphone and how, how your eyesight is in, in general you, you, you will also have to scroll through a list it's, it's not like you see everything instantaneously. Right. In our research, we always compare stuff to like an online setting where you where you search for some stuff on on Amazon or whatever store, mm-hmm. and then you see a list of products. And you, right. It, and in an a voice shop, they have to read you the product, and then you are and then they ask you. In the old version of the Amazon shop, they ask you, "Is that the product you want, or do you want me to read?
0: Oh, about another a new product, that, right? Another.
1: And then and then you have to make the decision. Do you really want to listen to her to read off a new product or can I stop here and, and, and purchase the stuff that was already presented? And right. that well then then you have an annoyance
0: yeah. factor and an impatience yeah. factor right so absolutely
1: that's really does, cost and the, the search costs go up It it's really it, it takes you quite a bit of time to search for a good product uh, in voice shopping and that creates we, we've experimented with this quite a bit also quite a bit of frustration with users now.
0: well yeah if, if users hate mm-hmm. friction the ease of not having to tie yeah. my hands up but still yes mm-hmm. that's that's interesting does this also i mean we talked about your there's a level of distraction there's the type of way you're going to encounter and be thinking about shopping. Does that also mean that you're going to inherently be looking at a slightly different product set because there are no visual cues? So are they going to be more utilitarian products, more interchangeable to some degree, mm-hmm. or is that not is that not so? Uh,
1: it's, it's not something that we really looked at. I mean, okay. in our research, we mostly looked at brands and, and, and our idea has always been the idea that a brand to some extent convey a lot of information just by in a the very brand amount of time. Um, right, right. So, <laughs> so uh, I mean, in, 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 a, in another paper, we basically kind of found that brands have played a stronger role. In in voice shopping than they do in, in online settings.
0: Oh, right. Well, that would make yeah. sense because they convey all sorts of things. You don't need to yeah. explain all sorts of things about quality and perception and association and knowledge of the of the product. You also yeah. use the word mood rather than emotion in the title of the article. Yeah. What's the difference between mood and emotion?
1: Yeah, so so the I mean it's that's a very difficult question and I don't think because I think uh, of them
0: as interchangeable but I as I was reading I was like oh okay it's a little it's a little different
1: I think kind of so the idea is first of all that's a I'm not an emotion and mood researcher I'm, I'm a marketing researcher and so so I'm not (laughs) the hundred okay. most, like best expert <laughs> We won't hold science.
0: you to it. It's just in the yeah. context yeah.
1: Okay. of this All research. Right. So, 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 yeah, so so the can speak freely, basically. So I'm, so the idea is basically mood is something that's ongoing. That like you wake up or or during the morning you discover about yourself that you are in a good mood or in a bad. Mood. And typically that's something that is relatively long lasting. Okay. It could last for hours. I mean, I have had days where I've been in a bad mood. I, I, I don't right. think they happen very often. But I but I then also tell my wife I think today is one of these days where I have a bad mood. So just avoid me. So. All right. the kids yeah so so basically so the idea is like there's it's like a longer lasting thing whereas an emotion it's more strongly thought it's more like sadness or anger but at the same time it will disappear quicker I think okay. that's, so that's the idea so so and so we were looking at mood because we believe that something and, and also kind of there's a lots of, lot of lot lots of time during the day when you have when you're not feeling any emotion even mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. sounds horrible but still that sounds like we were without a soul but, but still like, the idea is like in, 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 in most moments we're we not going through at least not going through strong emotions right um, whereas mood is something that's typically in some way or the other present right um, and, and so what we thought what we think but this is an assumption and because we didn't study emotions but we, what we were thinking was that mood is probably more interesting from a marketing perspective.
0: I was thinking it must be more durable so in terms of the length exactly. of time between yeah. assessment yeah. and placement of the advertisement yeah. Yeah. So because if, if if you need to hit it while they're still in the mood you need some level of you yeah. don't want it to yeah. extinguish too fast. Exactly. Exactly. When
1: you measure the mood when you anticipate the mood and that's what we try to do in the paper when we, when we measure and anticipate and predict the mood of, of a customer, basically. We want to work with that prediction. Right. And if, like, that's one thing. And the other thing, really, is, like, we'll be thinking what what emotion would be kind of up uh, for, 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 like, if you're in a shop. And you have a specific algorithm that targets angry people, uh, mm-hmm. with some specific response to angry people. It's still going to be the fact that most of the time, people will not be angry when shopping, or most right. of the time, they will not be fundamentally sad. Right. Uh, whereas at the same time, like most people will be either in a good mood or a bad mood or maybe in some kind of neutral state. But, right. Uh, but like mood is something that's much more prevalent and it's present in a way in the data that therefore more helpful to use if it has an effect, obviously. Yeah.
0: And is that's it that's we look at mood prior to your research? It was it generally accepted that mood related to purchasing and the ways people purchase things.
1: Yeah, there's an, a set of studies, I'm guessing like a dozen or so, that have already looked at mood effects on purchasing. And uh, I think they they found that the mood is related to the high audience to pay. For instance, if you're in a good mood, you have a high mm-hmm. audience to pay, which mm-hmm. is something that we sort of replicated on also in our studies. Um, right. yeah, so, so there has been findings. And, and generally speaking, on a more general level, research tells us that people that are in a good mood – tend to rely more on heuristics and information processing. And people that are in a good mood, they they're more detail oriented and they use more more, they go more to depth in terms of the analysis. Oh,
0: interesting. Um, so yeah. what you're so especially if we're thinking about somebody having to listen to a description, if you're in a good mood, you might tolerate a longer
1: description
0: than if you're in a bad mood.
1: So well, we found it actually the opposite. We found that oh, people okay. just didn't want to listen to the description. They just wanted to make a decision. There, They trust they, they, oh. they themselves. Um, oh, I see.
0: So then we take these two things and we add smart speakers and we arrive at one of the questions you examined, which was whether the data extracted from the voice speakers could predict customer mood. Let's go to the yes, no headline. Was the data able to predict mood?
1: We we were able to predict mood, yes.
0: And and if we can predict the mood, was the mood prediction that you were able to do based on the data was it more accurate than the other things that are often picked up by these speakers like musical playlists or other information about the weather the time of day the day of the week was this more accurate than that
1: so we found that a combined approach using all the information is obviously yeah. the most effective but yes the kind of the, the voice information have a has a strong effect on its own it, it have a it explains additional variance in a way technically speaking kind of, okay. we can explain more than than you could if you just simply knew so i mean if you know that someone lives in in a setting where the sun is shining when you know it's it's a saturday morning uh, and when you know that he or she is listening to a, a funny upbeat song uh, then you can already make a prediction about the mood that's going to be fairly accurate uh, because mm. it's much more likely that this person's going to be in a good mood mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but when you know when, when, when you listen to this person talking, you will make you will be able to regardless, basically, even and that's what we found. Like even if it just if you have just access to two or three commands in, on a on a smart speaker like next product or yes or no or thank you, these these short bits of information and kind of the tone of the voice. Uh, it already con- conveys quite a bit of additional information about the mood. So you will make a much more accurate prediction about whether that person is in a good mood or in a bad mood.
0: Well, and this is actually, we're going back to what we had, you had touched mm-hmm. on in the very beginning of our conversation in terms of the elements of the speech that were linked to mood. And you said that it wasn't necessarily the words. And I'm fascinated that yes or no or thank you or next, that alone, that small amount of information could really that you got enough information from simply those those words it, so what what were the factors so you had mentioned pitch and frequency did any of those particularly pop
1: yeah there was also a question that interested us we were also quite surprised how how powerful this was in terms of the the accuracy so i mean obviously we tried to identify the limits right but even going down i mean Obviously, we see when you have more information. So if the person speaks more, you make a better prediction about the mood. But we were also kind of fascinated by the fact that you can basically go down to this relatively small number of commands. I don't think we. I, I don't. I, I. I'm. I don't think we had any setting where we had three, three like one-word commands. Right. Uh, like yes, no, thanks. I don't. I don't know. I. I, I can't say for certain that that would be that would allow us to predict mute accuracy accurately and right. um, but yeah so so at the end of the day kind of what we also looked at is the, the words that people spoke and we found that it had, had a much smaller uh, t- uh, information or content than than, than a, a few very very simple commands
0: one of the things i had been thinking about was if you use google over time you start to shift the way you query for things based on the results you tent again, Google teaches you how to search. And Mm -hmm. I wondered whether the voice skills of the voice system if my learning how to work with the voice skill system was going to change its ability to detect mood because I'm sort of following a pattern or what have you. And what's interesting is it's not necessarily the words I'm saying. It's these the way I'm saying the words I'm saying.
1: The words you're saying, they do also, they also predict mood. And I mean, it must be said that we, this was a very limited kind of setting right. uh, in terms of uh, we they were always supposed to say give commands in a in a voice shop, I see. and the amount there's not that much degrees of freedom that you have as an individual to, to change the commands. Right. So we I, I don't remember exactly. I think we it's not in paper, but we, we ran analysis at the time to, to check which words were most predictive of, of being in a good mood. Mm. And if I remember correctly, it was really something like nicer words were more predictive were predictive. Huh. You being so like saying thank you more often to alexa maybe I, I i'm not exactly sure there was this thank you thing but the idea is like it was definitely the fact that kind of nicer stuff that you said was predictive of you being in a, in a better type of, type of mood so, so so words do carry information and I, I i mean obviously we we don't have the data that amazon would have right and i mean you interact people interact with alexa about all sorts of other things when you ask them about the weather and the driving conditions to work et cetera, right well et it's it's definitely
0: yeah. collecting a lot of information yeah. and we, we do know that. One of the things I, I know just generally speaking is that voice sets that were originally used to train smart speakers just to be able to perform, they were often men. And so I'm wondering whether there were differences in accuracy by gender, let's say.
1: Yeah. I mean, in, in our data set, we had a, I, I don't, we, I'm, I'm guessing we had a relatively mixed composition in terms of mm-hmm. gender mm-hmm. and we we trained the algorithm Mm-hmm. Uh, so we trained it. Uh, okay. so there's always literature on, on algorithm, algorithmic bias in the sense that people use bad training data to train their mm-hmm. algorithms and, and, and then kind of they continue to be prejudiced. Um, right. And, and well, there right. I think even studies that, that show that algorithms to some extent can become prejudiced depending on the data and the information that they are given. Right. But in our case, we had women and men participate. I would say that our algorithm is blind to gender. Uh, right. But, yeah. We never tested this, by the way. We never tested this at all. We also didn't didn't look for age or we just always pooled the data together and used that.
0: Right, right. Uh, so the next question was around how retailers could use the data. And what were the two ways that you thought the data could be put into play?
1: So we tried to imagine a retailer that was like trying to help their customers. We tried to imagine a retailer that was trying to, I don't know, get get benefits from right. predicting the mood. And our first idea in terms of uh, so we we try to have a kind of we try to show that you could use it positively in a positive way when you know your customer's mood, but you could we could also we try also try to show that retailers could use this power, this newfound power to, to kind of abuse their, their position. Uh-huh. So and so the the first idea that we have in terms of abusing the position is the idea that there was previous research indicating that, that customers might be willing to pay more when they are in a good mood. So we tried to we try to study two, two ways in which retailers could use that information. We tried to identify a way where they could use abuse their power in a way and hurt possibly customers. And we tried to identify a way where they could use the knowledge on customer mood to, to improve customer choices and help customers in a way. And when it came to kind of abusing their power, um, we looked at uh, an idea and that was the idea that customers that are in a good mood But there's earlier research that indicates that they might be willing to pay more. Mm. And so our idea was that if you know that your customers are in a good mood, you could offer them just more expensive products. So you could adapt your prices to the customer mood. Mm. And what we didn't do is we didn't program an Alexa that would detect the mood and then respond to offering via change the prices. That was somewhat beyond our technical skills, I would Mm -hmm. say. What we did do instead is we we ran an experiment where we made participants Buy chocolate in an online store and they were in two conditions. And in one condition, the prices were more expensive than the other condition. And then we checked whether people in a good mood were more like more likely to pay higher prices for the premium brands in when, when they were more expensive, like in a more expensive condition. I see. And we did find we did find evidence for that. It wasn't completely overwhelming evidence, but that, that there's like at least a trend in the data that people that are in a good mood are more likely to buy. A chocolate bar at a higher price when I it comes see. when it, when it is from a premium type of brand. I see. So so the implication would be yes, a retailer could predict the customer mood, and I think they could success, successfully implement a strategy where they predict customer mood, and then when they identify that the customer is in a good mood, they could slightly raise the prices and, and kind of. And the know, person changing. would accept it. That yeah, that would exactly. Be- yeah
0: and when you're thinking of a better user experience how would knowing mood allow a retailer to offer a better purchasing experience
1: so so we we looked into this whole idea that if you are in a good mood you you, you are more heuristical in, in in your information processing so you use more shortcuts in a way and if you're in a bad mood, you're more critical and more rational. And so we, we divided participants. We, we made them shop for a Bluetooth speaker, mm-hmm. a smart speaker with a Bluetooth speaker. And we gave them different options. And they could, and one, uh, in, in one setting, in one condition, uh, participants had to listen to all the information. In, in, a, in a second condition, they had the option to listen to more information. And then we had a condition where they weren't given a lot of additional information about the smart speakers, mm-hmm. uh, the the Bluetooth speakers, sorry. And then the end, we checked, and then we checked. We, we identified what would be the theoretically the best Bluetooth speaker for each participant based on something that's called conjoint analysis. And what we could then match is we could see like whether what we find basically is that if you force customers in a good mood to listen to more information than they would actively request and they make better choices. Customers in a bad mood, they find the information they need themselves, but customers in a good mood avoid information and that makes them make worse choices. So okay. Okay. predicting that a customer is in a good mood could, and then could, you could use that information to help them make better choices by exposing them to more information.
0: But if they don't okay. want to listen, that's the whole point. Oh, that's it. It's interesting. It, gosh, <laughs> how our mood yeah. affects us. So is there any, I mean, obviously, as you pointed out in your paper, there, there's an ethical issue around the higher pricing point mm-hmm. presentation because you're in a good mood. If I'm a marketer, if I'm, I'm looking down the road and I'm thinking, how would you operationalize this? How might you be able to operationalize yeah. this? There are three things I would be curious about as a practitioner. One would be not wanting to run afoul of regulations. The other would be speed for operationalizing opera, it in terms of what we talked about in terms of the length of time mm-hmm. the mood lasts. How mm-hmm. how automated and dynamic would the system need to be? And then third would be how consumers would feel about knowing that I was getting into their mood. How yeah, would, that yeah, be a, yeah, yeah. would that be a net negative and that positive mm-hmm. it, i was debating this with my mm-hmm. son and he said well, that'd be great because you could just be really grumpy and get better prices. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would be cool. If you, if you it, yeah. I mean, well, kind of. I think yeah. So, 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 kind of in terms of the data. I think at the moment, uh, I'm I'm not an expert on, on data privacy stuff, but at the moment, because kind of when interacting with, basically, when when putting the 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 voice assistant in your home, and when you start interacting with it, you have to agree that your voice data is transmitted. Um, to the corporation where the the voice speaker comes from. And then basically, I mean, I don't know whether there's regulation in terms of what they can then do with it. Um, Well, I know that California
0: does have rules around that. And if you change what you are doing, you have to re-alert the consumer to it. And so I'm wondering how much Amazon has to go back and be like, ooh,
1: yoo-hoo, we're doing this research. I don't know. I I don't know. So I I really can't give an educated answer, I guess, for the first question. Right. I um, mean the second the second question was pertaining to the speed. Obviously, the algorithm would be, have would have to be really speedy in terms of processing the voice data and providing Alexa in in, in the, the algorithm with a mood prediction. I think it could that could that's something that could be implemented. And I think mm. it could be really quick in terms of uh, we Amazon could have a very, very algorithm in the sense that the move prediction would come out very, very quickly. And then the next question is obviously how long does the move last? Um, right. And the assumption, the assumption that they would probably have to make is that it lasts at least throughout the entire encounter. Right. Uh, which I'm guessing typically lasts, I, I we have no data here, I have nothing in my mind but Two to three minutes, like when you shop or something using a voice speaker. If I look at my own, if I'm in a bad mood, it's typically at least half a day. If I'm in a good mood, that might be shorter or longer. I don't know. In terms of the third question, the third question question relates to what would customers think, and I think customers would not like it. Mm. Uh, And I, I don't, I personally don't expect that Amazon would ever do that. I think they could, but they wouldn't because, I mean, first of all, the customers will hate the fact that that. Amazon uses their mood, so it would be something that needs to be super secret, but then like...
0: Nothing stays secret.
1: Of, <laughs> nothing stays secret in the internet age, uh, and especially nothing that Amazon does stays secret, I think. I mean, maybe they, they do all, all sorts of things that we don't know. Uh, right. Anyway, um, that's always the thing about secret, secrets. But still, uh, I think the major thing is here, is really kind of the response... If Amazon started to dynamically adjust their prices, that also relates to the online shop and the mobile shop, et cetera. So if they were trying to use information that they have on us to give us personalized prices, we would start to trust Amazon less. Right. Uh, and and at the moment, the, the data that I have, like more than 50% of Americans start their product search on Amazon and not on Google. Right. And if if you believe that Amazon will personalize your price even based on your mood and the stuff you did before, etc., wouldn't you then go back to Google and try to see alternative prices also? Right.
0: If you're Amazon and you can assess the mood through the smart speaker, you can deploy the information across the speaker, but also the online environment. What's interesting is that yeah. they control not only a speaker environment, but also a digital environment. Yeah. And so if we think that a mood lasts, I don't know, it's it's just, a, it's an interesting, there's an interesting mm-hmm. ethical issue. There's an interesting behavioral issue. Overall, I just think this yeah. is very interesting research. And I thank you so much for coming and joining me in conversation and exploring it. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. It was great to
0: be with you. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Norton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.